From understanding a global economic crisis to crunching the numbers at the grocery till, she makes it easy and helps keep more money in your wallet. This is For What It's Worth with Rabina Ahmed Haq. Welcome to a new episode of For What It's Worth. I am your host, Rabina Ahmed Haq. I really hope you'll join us for the next hour. We're going to have some great stories about workplace and personal finance. Uh, one of the stories I'm really looking forward to is an interview with a recruitment firm director. They did a new survey about how happy we are in our jobs. This is actually International Happiness at Work Week. It's an initiative that was started by two Dutch women uh, that really brought to light how important it is to be happy in our jobs. Obviously, right? If we're happy, we're better at work, we're more productive, we're better for our company, we have better relationships with our partners, we're better to our kids, we're just better people. And if you spend your whole day not feeling really good about your job, you bring all of that home and then that can really have big impacts on other parts of your life. So this week is International Happiness. Happiness at Work Week, and I really hope that you take the next seven days to really think about how happy you are in your job and the things that you could change. In the conversation coming up, we will definitely be talking about uh, ways that we can feel better about our job if for some reason we're not feeling fulfilled, we're not feeling like we're getting out of work what we really want. Uh, maybe we're not in the job that we were meant to do. I had that kind of epiphany sort of 15 years ago. I was a news reporter for 10 years. I loved being a journalist. I love being a journalist. Uh, but I didn't like news. I didn't like local news. I didn't like the pressure that it came uh, that came with that. Uh, in the beginning, I used to love it. But after time, it became pretty daunting to get up at 4 a.m. because there was a fiery crash somewhere and someone had to go and cover it. And so I made a big change in my life. And it, I have to say, I am much happier now talking about personal finance and business and all the other things that uh, really impact us on a day-to-day -day, day -day level. And I feel like this brings more value to people because they take the information, for example, from this show for what it's worth, and they put it into use in their everyday life and they save money. They feel better about their financial wellness. And to me, that is really a valuable job to do. So I, you know, everyone get everyone it goes through this situation where they don't feel happy in their job. So if you're not happy right now, definitely tune in for our next conversation, but also know that you're not alone. Most of us have been there where we just haven't felt very good about our job. And later in the program, we're going to speak to Craig Lord. He is global news journalist and author of Homeschool and talk about how we're changing our idea of what a starter home is. He'll break down what he's learned about where people are buying to get on the property ladder and the things to consider before you make the leap into home ownership. Uh, this was a big week when it came to pocketbook issues. We got the latest numbers from T Statistics Canada about inflation, and inflation jumped to 4% year over year. And that is up from the previous month where inflation was at uh, th just over 3%. So it does mean that we are paying more for that same basket of goods uh, year over year and month over month. So year over year, 4%. But the real concern is that it has jumped month over month. The main driver, gasoline price. So gasoline is higher and that's driving our overall cost. Gasoline is a part of CPI, the Consumer Price Index. And so that is driving our overall costs. Housing costs are more, so we're paying more to service our mortgages. 
we're paying more for rent. And that is also contributing to inflation. The bright spot, but again, requires a little bit of context, is that grocery prices month over month have come down. So we're now paying about 6% for that same basket of goods year over year uh, when it comes to grocery costs. And that has come down from close to 8% in the previous month. Now, there's two things. One, good news that they're coming down. But the bad news is it's still much higher than they should be, much higher than 2% year over year. We're still paying a lot more for bread and meat and eggs and milk and all these basics. Uh, In fact, this week, the federal government met with all the big heads of uh, Loblaws, Sobeys, Costco, Walmart, and said, what can they do to stabilize prices. And they have now made a promise to stabilize prices so that we can be a little bit more confident when we walk into the grocery store as to what we're going to pay that week for broccoli, for milk, for eggs, for things that we just put in our basket week over week uh, without thinking about it. But now we've been forced to think about it, right? How many times have you thought, wow, milk costs that much now? Maybe I should drink less milk or these kinds of conversations that you have in your head. So those are the latest numbers from StatsCan. This could mean that the Bank of Canada could raise rates again in October in their next announcement. They did pause in the last announcement, uh, but they've come up, interest rates that is, 475 basis points or 4.75 percentage points since just last year. So people are paying a lot more for their debt. Economists are saying we can probably expect an interest rate hike end of October, but here's what I'm thinking. The increase is really coming from gasoline prices and food prices, and these are volatile uh, items in CPI. So Bank of Canada knows that. They're really more concerned when they see everyday items like furniture, appliances, these things go up in price 7 8 9% because that is unsustainable. So I think that they're going to look at it and see it as very seasonal, uh, that once gasoline prices start to come down, we'll see inflation come down, and that raising interest rates is not going to get us to drive less. It's just going to raise our mortgage costs, which of course is going to stoke inflation again, because uh, mortgage interest is part of the overall basket that CPI uh, that that is included in CPI. So I my prediction is is that they will hold rates steady. They've still come up pretty dramatically since last year. They want to see how these higher interest rates work their way through the system. When we come back, we will be talking about International Week of Happiness at Work. If you're happy at work, you're usually happier in other parts of your life as well because we spend so much time at work that if we're not happy, We bring all of that home. We'll talk about how this next week focuses on making workers more happy and a new survey that tells us about happiness of Canadian workers. I'm Rabina Ahmad Huck, and this is For What It's Worth. You're listening to For What It's Worth with Rabina Ahmed Huck. This week is International Week of Happiness at Work. Started in the Netherlands, this week aims to bring the message that happiness at work should be a top priority for companies 
around the globe because it's good for your employees. When they're happy at work, they're better parents, they're better friends, they're better neighbors. They're more likely to give to charity and do volunteering work. New research from the recruitment firm Robert Half reveals how professionals are feeling about their jobs and what is driving their happiness right now at work. To talk about International Week of Happiness at Work, we are joined by Tara Perry. She is a director at Robert Half. Hi, Tara. Hi, Rubina. Thanks so much for being here. Uh, Happy Happiness uh, Work Week. I don't know if that's a thing to say, but, uh, (laughs) you know, I hope that you have a wonderful week ahead because we are celebrating all things happiness on the job. Um, Your research that was done by Robert Half, how are workers feeling about their jobs right now? Uh, workers are feeling generally pretty good. And, you know, I we have a, a soft spot for happiness at work week. At Robert Half, we used to have the tagline work happy. Um, and we still find it around the office all the time. And I've always liked that tag, because I think we should all work happy. And what our research has found, most of the time, people are asking us, well, how many people are going to be looking for work in the next year? But the reverse of that is how many people aren't going to be looking for work. And so right now, more than seven in 10. So I think it's a roughly 73% of people cite being happy in their current jobs. Uh, so hashtag work happy. There's lots of people out there feeling good. Yeah, we focus so much on how tight the labor market is, how so many people want to change jobs, how there's a need for skilled workers, how people are working, you know, overworked and burnt out, and Mm -hmm. that's not making them Mm -hmm. happy. We don't focus on the other side of it, those people who are feeling like this new normal Mm -hmm. that we're working in is actually bringing us work-life balance, making us feel better about our jobs. Um, From your perspective, what are some of the qualities in a job that just makes a worker feel happy? One of the biggest ones that we see is where people feel like their work is meaningful. You know, they feel like their work uh, has value. It makes a difference, Uh, whether that's value to the business that they're working in or to the community at large. It depends on the person. But one of the biggest inputs that we see is people are happiest when they feel like their work matters, when it provides some value, when they feel like they are valued by their employer really matters as well. And and so that can come in various shapes and forms. Maybe they're getting good recognition and being told frequently how great their job is. Maybe they're being promoted consistently. Maybe they have a manager that's been really open about professional development plans with that individual so they know what their future looks like. Um, So there's a variety of reasons why, but far and away, the highest reason is that people feel like their work is meaningful and that their work matters. I talked about a little bit before the last question, but how has this new normal worked into happiness at work? I know just even speaking to other moms, especially that finally uh, many are feeling a lot more comfortable in their job because they're able to work from home a few days a week. They don't feel that pressure of commuting every day. They feel like they get more time with their children. Um, How Mm -hmm. is this, this new work environment that we are in now after the pandemic, how has that contributed to happiness at work? I think it's been a huge contributor and and um, we call it work flexibility because it's more than just hybrid. It's more than just do you have to be in the office every day, Monday to Friday, or can you work from home every day? It's, it's more than that. It's about what flexibility means because it can mean different things to different people. And so I think this new normal of more flexible work arrangements 
absolutely has had a big impact as a working mom. I can also um, very much be aligned with you in the thinking on that. But, you know, part of what flexible means for me is that there's a couple of days a week that I can actually walk my kids to school and start a little bit later. It's not just that there's the option to work from home from time to time. It's that my hours can be a little bit adjusted to meet my personal needs. Um, You know, working parents are often who people talk about, but we forget that the newest generation in the workforce also really wants flexibility in work as well. They want to work where they want to, when they want to, and how they want to. And that's a really big driver for that Gen Z. Um, so it's not just about working parents. It's about the, the labor force and the workforce as a whole starting to see options that allow them to align work with life a little better. You know, when I was a kid, there was a sweetness of being at home, like on a Wednesday, like a day where you normally weren't home because you were sick or maybe you had an appointment. So your parents kept you home because what's the point of going to school for just a couple of hours? And I never really experienced that until the pandemic again, where all of a sudden I was at home on a Wednesday afternoon. And it was not because I was sick, but just because it's just this comfort of being in your own space when you're really supposed to be somewhere else. There's just this weird sort of happiness that happens just from that because you just feel (laughs) like, it's almost like you feel like you're breaking the rules a little bit. And I think that sometimes makes us feel better uh, for, um, but you know, in a a good way, in a good way, not breaking the rules. Maybe that's the wrong way of putting it. Um, (laughs) You know, a lot of people are, you know, still, uh, not happy in their work that we're talking about happiness at work and the fact that this is International Week of Happiness at work. Um, but for those maybe who have a workforce, maybe they're a manager or a boss of a company and they feel their workers are not happy, what would you say to them? What are the benefits of having a happy workforce that really translates to you know beefing up their bottom line? Oh my gosh, the benefits are huge. Um, you know, retention, productivity, um, succession planning, mentoring, all of those pieces of an engaged workforce increase dramatically when people are happy at work. And really, when you start to boil it down, it comes down to creating a culture of trust. Employees are happy when they trust their employer. And trust comes in many different shapes and forms, but, um, you know, it's, it's actually believing that your employer has your best interests in mind when they're decision making that, again, your work is valuable and provides meaning that you trust the direction of the organization. It's not constantly changing. Um, trust is a really huge uh, component to being happy at work. We also find one of the biggest components to happiness at workplaces, how engaged are your employees or are they just bored? And boredom is a huge indicator of uh, low morale, low productivity, low efficiency. And, And again, boredom is directly linked with, do I feel like my work provides value and meaning? And is it interesting? And so as an employer for that manager who feels like, people aren't happy on their team, I would really suggest they pause and think about uh, how can they change the dynamic? How can they start to build trust in a way that makes people more engaged? You know, an interview question that I have been asking people for years is what gets you out of bed in the morning to want to go to work? And as a, as a recruiter, that's a really important thing for us to understand is what motivates a person. 
I wonder how many employers are asking their own staff that question. How many people are doing stay interviews to really understand what keeps people there? Why do they want to be there? What can we change so that you want to be there? And so Mm -hmm. that stay interview, um, that idea of really understanding why your team is motivated or how they're motivated, I think is a really important piece and helps build trust um, to then foster engagement and happiness at work. We're speaking to Tara Perry. She is a director at the recruitment firm Robert Half. Uh, Tara, um, how can someone deal with the fact that they're dissatisfied at work? So we're talking now to people who aren't happy. Um, If they're thinking, okay, you know, I'm listening to this interview. This is International Week of Happiness at Work. I am not happy in the job that I'm doing. What can someone do to find happiness uh, in their job? Uh, Well, a lot of times that's why they're talking to a recruiter. (laughs) Maybe they're not happy. Um, And and so what I would change the environment. You know, I think um, if you feel stuck in your career, you don't have to. Um, Sometimes it, it feels really risky, but you might need to sit down with your manager and talk about what are your options? What is the career path? How can you be engaged? And that feels risky sometimes because you feel like you're putting yourself out there. But I, I would say that it's a it's a mitigated risk because what's the worst thing that happens? They say, well, we have no there's no growth plan here for you. And then at least, you know, you know where you stand and you can start to make choices and make decisions to change that for yourself. You don't have to be stuck at your same employer. You can you can do things to try and change the environment. Maybe you take on a project within your current company. But it does require you to put yourself out there a little bit and, and, and be a bit vulnerable with your manager. Um, but know when to move on. If you've had those discussions, you've explored your options and there is no future, you know, give us a call. Talk to a recruiter. Talk to your friends. Know what your options are. Know what's out there for you because I believe there is a place for everybody to work happy. Tara, thank you so much for joining us uh, today, telling us the results of the survey that Robert Half did and just talking about how we can be happier at work. My pleasure, Rubina. It's a topic I could spend a lot of time talking about. So uh, thanks for bringing it up. That was Tara Perry. She is a director at the recruitment firm Robert Half. In the research that Robert Half did, they found that workers who were happy at work found that their job was meaningful. So at the end of the day, they felt like they had done something that actually changed something for someone or somebody somewhere. They had flexible work options. So when they wanted to work from home, they could. They could do things that maybe before the pandemic just weren't possible. This is hybrid work, remote work, all these options that we have now. And they liked the people they work with. They have good relationships with their colleagues. This is all the ingredients that make up a happy workforce. And I think that anybody listening, especially if you own a company, could take a lot from that conversation uh, that we had with Tara. When we come back, we will be joined by Global News journalist Craig Lord about his latest issue of homeschool. This month, he's discussing what should you consider for your first home, a condo, a suburban home, even a cottage when you're first thinking about getting on the property ladder. We'll have more on that. I'm Rabina Ahmad Huck. This is For What It's Worth. You're listening to For What It's Worth with Rabina Ahmed-Hawk. 
When you're trying to get on the property ladder, there are a lot of choices of what that purchase can be. A condo, a suburban home, maybe even a cottage. What makes sense to you? After all, the way we work has changed and we don't always have to now live close to where we work. To talk about this, we are joined by Global News journalist Craig Lord. His latest issue of Homeschool is available right now on globalnews.ca and he's discussing property options for first-time homebuyers. Hi, Craig. Hi, Rubina. Craig, doing this latest issue of homeschool, what did you find? Have people sort of changed their minds as to what they think a starter home should be? Yeah, a, a little bit. I mean, when it comes down to what you can afford for your first home, a lot of people are still going to gravitate, especially in the bigger cities, towards those condos to the the, the the more affordable one or two bedroom units that you can you can find in the big cities. But increasingly, having to commute downtown every day uh, of the week or, or, or even at all is is more optional depending on what your job is. So people are maybe exploring further beyond the the, the bounds of the downtown core, looking to uh, detached and semi-detached properties in in the suburbs or or in those bedroom communities of of Toronto uh, that that people uh, people can commute into still if they need to a couple days a week or or they're at least able to find a more accessible uh, rung on the property ladder, as it were. Remote work, hybrid work, still very much influencing decisions in, in the real estate game. I'm hearing from realtors that stuff like parking spots attached to condos are, are no longer the, the norm. 10 years ago, you might have really been hunting and willing to pay a little bit extra for that parking spot. But nowadays, uh, just not that that high a priority from, from a lot of home, home buyers. So that's, that's kind of one of the ways that people are changing. Another the demand for home offices. If you can squeeze one into a condo or if you can separate an entire room in your detached or semi-detached home a little bit further out, those home offices have become quite a, a hot commodity. So just the subtle ways that people are changing where they buy and what they're looking for that comes with that property, be it a condo or a detached home. Yeah, it used to be that when you bought that home, any home, whether it's a starter home or you're upgrading maybe because your family is growing, that public transit was a big issue. You had to be close to public transit or at least a major roadway that could get you to your job because, you know, back up until three years ago, most of us were going into work five days a week, you know, Monday to Friday kind of kind of deal. And the, this new normal has really opened up options uh, for uh, young people and for all Canadians as to where uh, where they can choose to live. Any really quirky examples of where people are, are moving to and the reasons they're giving to, to get there or be there rather yeah so we did see a big rush during the pandemic to some of those more cottage or, or recreational markets you know people didn't know how long lockdowns were going to last and they wanted more space and to be able to enjoy the outdoors a little bit more we've seen that pattern kind of reverse a little bit but i've heard from people uh in markets like grand bend ontario that there's still a big push and that there's still this draw to even younger families who might want to uh live and work in one of these more uh one of these smaller towns that the the towns are actually growing to accommodate them so i heard from mark pedlar he's a realtor with remax blue water realty in grand bend he told me that the way the the amenities the 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 schools the the doctor's offices everything that's building up around grand bend is really attracting some of these the younger families to to viably live a uh, year round in what was once just a cottage market like this recreational market in grand bend i mean we got a great school we got the banks we have grocery stores so it's not like you're living super remote you can definitely live here have a great lifestyle a great life lots of families lots of friends and work from home and commute for two days two days a week if if your job allows you right so it, it definitely is a thing. And, and as these small towns grow and have the services 
that can help make life better for, for young families, I think you're going to see more and more people move out and do that. So Mark did tell me while it's perfectly viable to live in a place like Grand Bend, even in the winter, he did caution that things really do slow down a lot in the winter. A lot of restaurants uh, aren't even open because they cater so much to the summer beach crowd. So if you are going to find a more affordable home, the, the cottage market, he told me, is is slowing down and stabilizing a lot from, from some of the highs during the current housing correction. It might be an affordable place to get in, but keep in mind the trade-offs you might be uh, having to keep in mind. You might have a very exciting uh, and, and social summer season, but the winters do slow down. So keep that in mind, uh, what you're looking for in terms of lifestyle and community. Uh, depending on where you're you're shopping for your first home. Yeah, probably not a good idea just to go there, you know, on a bright July summer day and then decide that this is going to be your life. You know, I think most people realize winter comes, but that it's not going to be this busy year round. But that could change. I mean, you know, we're reading more and more about how uh, people uh, working from home is changing local economies. That could change where those restaurants could be open year round because now they've got people that are are willing to dine out in February when normally that, that beach crowd isn't there. Are, are you finding that uh, this is helping reinvigorate these local economies that maybe were seasonal up until a couple of years ago yeah uh, a lot of uh, those those more tourist towns if you, if you want to call them that have seen a real boom in their real estate markets for exactly that reason because uh, people have realized they can do this year round uh, even even ski uh, ski resorts that the towns around there they've seen big booms uh, to the point where property values it's difficult to keep up for some of the workers in those towns so it's definitely a trend that has persisted post pandemic uh, and and cities are taking notice cities like Grand Bend are making big investments in infrastructure like fiber optic high speed internet uh, some of the cottage properties are getting off the septic system and, and more into the municipal water system so more on the grid is something that I was hearing. So the markets that you might not have considered because, oh, I don't want to deal with a septic system. I don't want to deal with well water, for example. Give them another look. You, you might be surprised on the changes, the evolutions in some of these smaller towns since the pandemic as they cater to more of a year-round uh, growing population. What would you say to somebody who's looking for a home right now, their first home, maybe they haven't started their family yet, um, and that's that's maybe in the plans. What what are some things that they should look for outside of just the price of the home when they when they are looking to buy? Yeah, so there are a couple things I want to draw people's attention to. Uh, the the idea of an income property is is really growing in a lot of uh, suburban markets. I'm I'm talking specifically about uh, one unit, a home that is split split and, and ready to accommodate two families. We, we used to call them granny flats, but a, a built-in, so maybe just a basement apartment has a separate entrance, separate kitchen, everything is separate. So when you're looking at just the, the, the price of a home, these income properties, they might come with a higher price tag, but if you can qualify for them, get the mortgage and afford it, when you think about the the offsetting impact of renting out that that secondary unit, what that can do to to subsidize basically your mortgage costs, the the equation suddenly becomes a little bit different. You might find yourself able to afford a larger home that can accommodate a growing family a little bit. I would also draw your attention to one of the big financial hurdles that you have to get your mind around when it comes to condos, the condo fees. So yes, condos at the at purchase price, usually the more affordable option, but they do come with monthly condo fees akin to maybe paying rent, something coming out of your, your, your bank account every month aside from the mortgage. One of the realtors that I spoke to told me that, you know, condo fees, they can be annoying, but they're, they can consider that maybe the fixed maintenance costs that come to the home, well as 
whereas buying a detached home comes with variable maintenance costs. So yes, you're putting aside a couple hundred every month for condo fees. You should really be doing that as well for the maintenance of your home because those those things that you have to address, those those costs that come up, those sudden furnace breakdowns or, or other unexpected joys that come with owning a home, you're going to have to have a bit of a fund ready to, to address those when they come up. So be your own condo board in a way, put aside money to yourself to, to accommodate the, the maintenance that comes with owning a home. And it'll help you to, to get a better uh, scope of, of what the, the costs of home ownership are like, whether you are going the condo route or the detached home, they will probably come with uh, some unexpected extra costs. You know, it is the quintessential Canadian dream to be a homeowner. And I think a lot of young people especially feel like until they bought a home, they haven't really become an adult, which I think is a misnomer. I don't think that that is, you know, in reality at all. Uh, you can very much be an adult and still be renting. Is there a way to decide whether now is the time to buy or not? Uh, which, what, what should uh, young people, especially who are buying their first home, be looking at when it comes to their personal finances to make sure that this is the right financial decision for them uh, getting on the property ladder? Yeah, that's a, a very tough decision. And the answer for everyone might not be yes, when it comes to should I own a home? Is that in my future? Is that viable? Uh, there are certain uh, amounts of money you should be able to set aside every month. If you're able to, to save for a down payment to, to afford getting into the property ladder at the first place, if you're able to keep up those habits of, of putting aside money every every month, uh, in addition to what you're paying in rent, that's a good sign that you know, you're know you on the right track. So you can probably break into the property market without uh, getting in over your your head. Um, there are a few other things uh, that you might want to consider, though, uh, when you're deciding, okay, do I go condo? Do I go detached? Those detached homes likely going to be a little bit more expensive, depending on when you buy. If you are trying to save and save and save to get that first detached home, you know, that's your dream, the white picket fence, that's the kind of home you want. Keep in mind that the the appreciation in the price, that price might grow faster than you're able to save. The benefit of, you know, settling, if you want to call it that, for a smaller property at first that you can uh, get get some equity out of as it, as you pay down that mortgage, it can help you move up the property ladder. That's why we call it that, because there are rungs that you can move up and up and up and bigger and bigger and bigger as equity hopefully grows, that the market has tended to, to trend upwards as your equity grows consider maybe getting in at uh, uh, not starting at your dream home is what I'm saying. Global News journalist Craig Lord is the author of Homeschool. Craig, uh, not a lot of time left, but I wanted to ask you, you know, uh, when someone is uh, getting into that first home, should they be talking to their workplace about their uh, their intentions for the future? Because a lot of people are buying homes two, three hours away and then realizing, oh, my employer wants me in four or five days a week all of a sudden. Uh, do you, would you recommend that they have that conversation with their employer before they move, you know, hours away from their job? Uh, absolutely. Uh, give yourself as clear an expectation of the future as you can. But I will also say as a caveat to that, that no matter what your employer says, uh, you need to to think about your long term prospects where you are putting down your roots, because we are heading into what many economists consider to be a bit of a softer economic time, there are rumblings of a recession around the corner. So if your job is something that might be vulnerable to to a downturn in the economy, you know, no one necessarily has perfect job security. Security. Keep in mind that wherever you, you buy your home, uh, you might want to be able to find economic prospects there, find new job prospects there. Um, 
remote work is great. It, it works for so many people and so many businesses are embracing it. But keep in mind that might not be the the, the standard for forever. We've seen more and more people, uh, more and more businesses announce uh, back to work plans. Uh, be prepared that that might be in your future, depending on where your career goes and uh, what property decisions you make along the way. Craig, thank you so much uh, for joining us today, getting us uh, up to date on this latest issue of Homeschool. My pleasure. Thank you for having me, Rubina. That's Global News journalist Craig Lord. He is the author of Homeschool. You can find it right now on globalnews.ca talking about all the different things that we need to think about before we get on the property ladder. People are changing the kinds of properties they buy as their starter home, but there is a lot to take into consideration before you actually sign on the dotted line and make that purchase. When we come back, a new RBC survey suggests that financial uncertainty is our new normal as we navigate ourselves through these economic times. I'll have more on the results of that survey when we come back after the break. I'm Rabina Ahmed Huck, and this is For What It's Worth. From understanding a global economic crisis to crunching the numbers at the grocery till, you're listening to For What It's Worth with Rabina Ahmed Huck. Well, here's something depressing. A new RBC survey says that financial uncertainty has become our new normal, all because of higher inflation, the fact that it's harder to save because there's not that much money left over when we've paid all of our bills. And this is really hampering our feeling about securing our financial future. So we can't, for example, put money into an emergency fund. And then that leads us to feeling vulnerable about the fact that if anything went wrong, we don't have any money to deal with that emergency. At least uh, even in the short term, we can't tap our emergency fund to get through it. This survey that was done by RBC says the rising cost of living tops the list of things that Canadians are worried about. 77% of those people that they spoke to say they're not able to save as much as they would want to. They're stressed about money and that, of course, is impacting how they feel uh, about uh, you know their future financial goals and the way that they want to live their lives, even making simple decisions like going on a holiday or what they can buy at the grocery store. All of that has become stressful. And you know the, the last three years have been very unusual. No one needs to. I don't need to be the first one to tell you that uh, the pandemic, of course, created a lot of uncertainty, not just about our health but also about our finances. Uh, a lot of people lost their jobs. Uh, more people lost their jobs in that first uh, year, uh, first month uh, than we'd ever recorded. More than a million Canadians were out of work on emergency benefits. That created a lot of insecurity. And then as the pandemic started to come to an end, uh, rising inflation has really eroded our ability to uh, purchase things, to kind of live the kind of life that we want. Talk to anybody who's trying to search for a home, uh, the kind of stress that they feel as to how much they have to pay for a home that maybe even five years years ago was half the price. Uh, the cost of running that home is now more. And so this re- this new survey that was of 1,500 Canadians, it was conducted online back in June, uh, June 20th to 23rd. So over those few days, uh, really does talk about the anxiety that many of us are feeling when it comes to uh, our finances right now. And then on top of that, there is a lot of talk of a possible recession going into 2000, uh, into 2024, and that is creating anxiety as well. Uh, a lot of people saying that they feel that this is a tougher time 
than even 2008. Now, anyone who lived through the 2008-2009 crisis will remember that it was very much focused on the markets, housing, um, and people's jobs. So we weren't as concerned about how much things were costing. In fact, a lot of things fell in price because demand really tapered off. For example, cars were really cheap back then because there was just no demand. Nobody was buying cars in 2008, 2009 because they were so worried about their job that they weren't buying any of these big ticket items. And so at least when you went to the grocery store or you needed to buy something because your car broke down, it didn't, it, you know, it didn't wipe out all of the money that you had saved. But that's not the case now. Now we have uh, this threat of a recession, the threat of job, jobs being lost going into 2024, the rising cost of everything, rising interest rates. And some people even worried about their ability to keep the home that they are in. So when you go for renewal, for example, if you have a fixed rate mortgage, if your payments all of a sudden go up 40%, which is the expectation, uh, can you even afford the home that you are living in? And will you have to give up something in your life in order to afford that home? That could mean maybe not going on a vacation. It could mean maybe cutting back on your kids' activities. These are heartbreaking decisions that nobody really wants to make. Uh, but this is the reality that we are living in. And that's why we're seeing the results of this survey come out where more and more Canadians, 77% saying they're not able to save as much as they could uh, previously. They're not feeling good about their financial future and that they're, they are suggesting that this financial uncertainty, this survey suggesting, is just now our new normal. Not a very good place to be. Uh, definitely need to focus on financial wellness. Um, whatever you can save, even if it's $10, $20 out of each paycheck, which will go towards your long-term savings, is going to help you feel better about your money. So these are proactive things that you can do. Uh, take a look at all of your spending. Where are you maybe spending money that you could cut back on without it really impacting your lifestyle? What things are you subscribed to that maybe you could uh, save some money that way? What are some of the habits that uh, maybe you've picked up again after the pandemic that really aren't serving you anymore uh, that you could save money if you cut back on them? So these are some ways that if you are feeling like uh, financial uncertainty is just something you are just living with all the time, to get out of that mode, you can do some things proactively uh, to get yourself on to a better track towards financial wellness. To recap today's uh, program, we had some great guests on today. I really enjoyed speaking to Tara Perry from Robert Half about the international happiness at work week. So that's what this week has been declared, really a focus uh, by companies to see how happy their workers are and what is it that makes a happy workforce. And so their survey that they did of LinkedIn users that they spoke to said uh, workers want to have meaningful work. So when you you know you end your day, you feel like you've made a difference. You want to have flexible work options so that when you need to leave early or work from home, that that option is available. And you have to like the people you work with, right? If you don't like who you work with, that can really be a drag day after day having to work with people that you just don't align with. So these are certain things that you should look for, especially if you're out there looking for a new job. These are certain things that you should, the, the things that you should look for in order to find a happy workplace. And this week, definitely the focus is going to be on what companies are doing to make their workforce happier. And speaking to our very own Craig Lord, global news journalist about the latest issue of Homeschool, which is available right now on globalnews.ca uh, about the changing notion of 
of a starter home, right? So a starter home, maybe four or five years ago would have been a small detached home just outside of the city, maybe a condo, but people are now extending their idea of what a starter home is, a, a cottage, maybe an RV, maybe something else just to get you on the property ladder. A lot of uh, first-time home buyers feel like once they get on the property ladder, at least that money is growing, their investment, this asset that they have bought is growing. And that gives them options you know, years from now when they want to upgrade and buy a bigger home as their family grows. So the idea of what a starter home is, is changing. But Craig had some great tips there as to the things that we still need to think about. Can we afford this home for the long term? Are you looking at the maintenance cost? You know, if you're not buying a condo, are you putting money away to deal with a leaky roof, a broken furnace, uh, you know, maybe some small repair that needs to happen in your home? You need to have that money on the side to make that happen. And having that crucial conversation with your workplace um, as to what they plan on doing when it comes to remote or hybrid work. The last thing you want to do is move two hours away and then all of a sudden you got to go back into work four or five days a week and that home purchase no longer works for you and your family. Thank you so much for tuning in today. I hope you got something out of the last hour. Thank you to James Petrovic, our technical producer. We will be back here next week, same time, same channel. I'm Rubina Ahmad-Huck and this is For What It's Worth.